Um, you know, I've always been like a music nerd and I feel like music was the way that ended up like communicating with me. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting into like, uh, Christianity then. And then I think it was like a very, like the, like evangelical stereotype Christianity. And then I had to sort of work through that and be like, oh, why doesn't this click with me? And I'm like, I had to start figuring out like, oh, here's the kind of believer that I am. And welcome to Here in LA, Echo Park Edition. Today we chat with Mike Rowe. Mike is a writer, an editor, a screenwriter, a husband, a native Californian, and sadly, one of the many who were axed at KPCC earlier this year. Fret not, though, he was quickly picked up by the rap, no talent when they see it. So we'll talk about working at the Pasadena NPR station, where we met, how he got the gig some 15 years ago, and about the book he wrote about 30 Rock. And of course, we'll talk about living in Echo Park. So here he is, Mike Rowe. Hello, everybody. I am here with Mike Rowe. Yeah, hey! Mike, so great to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. A pleasure, Tony. <laughs> a pleasure, as always. Uh, you know, we're old pals working in journalism together. Over at KPCC. That's right. Which yeah, is- it was my first, you know, that's what brought me down to Los Angeles in the first place. It was? It was. I uh, I was uh, living up in Seattle. I was interning for a big public television station. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I knew I wanted to work in media. And I, I applied and I ended up getting a gig. Uh, you know, it was they, they called me back because uh, one of the hiring managers there had gone to gone to like a conference and knew my boss like from my internship. And uh, and, you know, I was able to get a call back and they had said, when can you be down here? And uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, how about uh, how about next week? Uh, and they're like, OK, sounds good. And what, what year are we talking? This was like 2007. 2007. So. When people say, why would you intern anywhere? All you're going to do is empty ashtrays. I guess yeah. I'm dating myself. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, or pour coffee for people. Yeah. Why would you do this? This is why. Exactly. I mean, I think that it's uh, one of those best examples of like, you know, knowing people and connecting with people. It's like how most people get jobs. And right. it's, uh, it's a bummer that we don't have a way that's more systematized or whatever. But, um, but you know, it was like such a, you know, lucky break for me. Like, I think, you know, before that, like I, I had only ever attempt before. I had like done some <laughs> temp work. I had some internships. I, um, I also, I worked on this indie movie up in Seattle for no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that that's the thing that really inspired me to, like, apply myself. Just because I had so much fun working on this indie film where it was, like, working really hard, long hours, doing something you care about. And I was like, I, I gotta give it a go and try and find something, man. So what was the gig at KPCC that you got hired for? I got hired to be a digital production assistant back when, like, they, their website, like, literally updated like once a day or something like that and uh so they were like trying to expand their digital footprints and um and yeah it was working on it was like hired as a more technical role Um, oh and you know i was uh like i i sort of thought like well i'm gonna get into um 
you know, I, I didn't see myself as a journalist necessarily at that time. And I think that, yeah, it was sort of like the digital side and you had the journalism side. Right. Was, so you uh, thought you'd be yeah. like an engineer or something? I mean, it was like basically like like doing the HTML and like oh. updating the website and like editing stuff like radio scripts for the website. Yeah. But like they didn't sort of, it wasn't like original stuff yet. Right. Uh, okay, so that's 2007. Yeah. When did you actually start writing for uh, KPCC? Uh, I think that it was within – for the 2008 election, I got to start writing a um, an election blog uh, talking about – and like I did like a quiz uh, talking about like, you know, here's the, the latest news because I was a big politics nerd. Like before I got into journalism, I did a lot of political volunteer work, and I thought that's where – that's where I was sort of interested in going, but I you helped Obama get elected. I I may have helped Obama get elected. God bless before, you, Mike Rowe. Uh, before starting with KPCC, and then like as I started to realize like oh this is becoming more journalism me. That's when I stepped away from doing a political stuff uh, because I've always been like very uptight and playing by the rules, and I'm like you know I'm not even like officially have to do this, but I want to step away and and make sure I'm like new journalistic objectivity and everything. Yeah. Uh, do you remember your first time that you were on the air at KPCC? Uh, I, I don't remember the first time, but I remember like the election night 2008 was one of my first big memories from there because, you know, it was everybody working in the studio at Pasadena City College at the time. Oh, you guys were over there then? Yeah. We, we, well, I worked mostly and we had downtown offices and then the radio part of it was in Pasadena. So like, you know, it was very much like split between like the reporters and the, uh, the like tech people were all downtown and then the like engineers and when people were on the air was in Pasadena. But like, so mm. it was, uh, it was definitely like a weird, um, you know, I, I, there were people like I never knew, I never saw because like <laughs> we, they were, they were off in like a basement in the Pasadena city college, uh, uh-huh. before we built like a new, the new headquarters in 2010. I so, think. so you saw KPCC transition from city college mm-hmm. Over to Pasadena. So you saw that Raymond Avenue building? Yeah, being built. Uh, I remember walking through the construction site as it was coming together. What Was it built up from ground up? No, it was like some old warehouse or something, and they were like uh, restoring it. But like they were ripped out the guts of the thing and basically you know rebuilt it from mm-hmm. like mostly scratch. Uh, there's a couple remnants of like what was there before. Like like there was like uh, that's still there, but it's mostly was, was sort of all new insides. That's surprising to me because I mean not completely surprising because there are some old buildings on that street, but it just looks like such a a beautiful modern space that is perfect for what they do there. Yeah, it's funny. I remember except for the parking, of course. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You know when they first were building it, I remember they had like these grand plans for what it was going to be, and they had like I remember as it was going on, they're like, well, we have to scale back this, and we have to (laughs) uh, like they were going to have like a much bigger sort of like space for entertaining people oh. um, like on the roof or something and oh. like that got uh, they're like this this cool design uh, like if, if they had these little um, paperweights of what the building was going to look like and they don't look like what the building looks like <laughs> because they, it's like oh this this part's gone and, right yeah it's like Homer's car exactly it's it's, uh, it's definitely Homer's car yes it's but but what is that the Crawford Center uh, Crawford Family Forum there you go the, yeah the the Moon Broadcast Center well but but the, the Crawford I think is perfect 
Perfect. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think that it's, uh, I know we've both hosted events there, and yeah. it's a great what were, space. What were some that you hosted there? Um, you know, I got to do some events about comic books, talk with comic book creators there, which I really loved. Uh, I think that I was preparing uh, a couple, about a year ago that we ended up getting pulled because of changing priorities and stuff. But uh, over the pandemic, I did this series called LAS TV Pilot Club, where we looked at old TV pilots and talked about, like, what holds up from them, what doesn't what was super problematic and we were about to do the the, in, the post-pandemic in-person version of that and we're in the middle of planning it but uh, I got I got pulled from that to focus more on um, you know getting more of our radio stuff up on our websites and mm. it was uh, it was such a bummer because I was really excited we were working on doing a live in-person thing looking at the pilot of Cheers oh, yeah. uh, and we had um, you know we were working on trying to get George Went to come out Ooh, uh, Norm? It, yeah, Norm. Norm. What? Yeah, it's uh, it 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 was a, a cool project that I wish we could have done. Um, during the pandemic, we did episodes on Friends. We did um, The Office. We did in, um, Living Single. So all these were the the pilots that That's right that launched these amazing series. Yes. Did you learn anything about these pilots? I think very much. You know, um, a couple years ago, I wrote a like sort of the inspiration for it was I wrote a book a couple years ago about the TV show Thirty Rock, and it was uh, fascinating looking at a show that's like not that old, like you know, like ten, fifteen years old, and like they did blackface on that show. <laughs> multiple times and so did uh, so many other nbc sitcoms from that time and like during the pandemic they had like pull episodes off of streaming because they were like oh yeah right we shouldn't do this like who yeah. who was in 30 rock in blackface uh you know well they did a thing where the first time they did it they had um uh, Tracy Morgan and Jenna like were arguing who has it worse, black men or white women. So they switch places with each other. Tracy Morgan dresses up as a white woman and she goes in full blackface, including like voice and it's like oh wow. this is so cringe. And then like they did it again, uh, <laughs> like in this like I, I talked with when I was doing the book. I talked with uh, their props guy who was a black guy, and he was talking about how the first time like he was okay with it because he was like they're making a social point. Fine. Yeah. The second time, and they did it again. It was for a really dumb joke where it was like just showing that Jenna's still sort of racist. She she oh she goes as for their Halloween costume. Her and her boyfriend go as Black Swan. And the boyfriend is like the, you know, Black Swan character from the movie. And she dresses up as a football player. Like Lin Swan is his name. Yeah, yeah. And in full blackface. Oh. And the, the guy I talked to from the show said like how he couldn't believe that they were doing this. Because like there was no social commentary other than they're bad people. And like <laughs> he was like, but there's like no black people in power there. It was like all white mm. power structures. And so like he was saying like how he had like go cry in his office because he couldn't. No. No. couldn't deal with this and um, oh. and yeah it was like I think the working on that book really sort of helped me real like start putting together like what do we do with stuff that is amazing like w super amazing writing uh, you know one of the classics of TV but also super problematic and and how do you sort of hold both those things together mm-hmm do, do you have a conclusion yourself Mr. Micro um, I mean I think that I've sort of come to the point where it's like 
you know, separating the art from the person. I look at the people and like, um, I actually just did a panel about this at Comic-Con this year uh, where I talked with like a diverse panel about what we do with this stuff. And it, sort of the, the place that I most agreed with was I had a, a trans member of the panel who was talking about how she felt that, um, you know, when people show that they're trying to change, when people show that they are learning, they're trying to do something different, like that is a thing that you can keep following and embracing. It's like when people refuse to do that is when maybe, you know, put them aside and stop trying to follow their art. Mm -hmm. um, she felt like I, I didn't, you know, it's a thing that I didn't clock as somebody not from this group, but she was talking about how on the Tina Fey show, Mr. Mayor, that was that came out a year or two ago, um, it was they, they were like the first few episodes of that had like anti-trans jokes oh, and really? it was she was saying Tina like Faye? oh it was a bummer yeah it was a bummer and um you know it's it's uh it's like such a hard thing to figure out like when you're like i mean basically everything before now is problematic because like and we've always screwed this stuff up yeah um but uh but you know when you have people that don't learn and change with that it's tough well, I'm I'm a bunch older than you, and <laughs> I I grew up the only black person in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. and loving comedy, obviously, and um, I just I feel like I feel like anything went in comedy back then, yeah, um, and that was kind of okay, but I feel like it, it's almost like um, we're both religious people. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's almost like once you bite into that forbidden fruit and your eyes are opened and you're no longer yeah. innocent. Now that we know better, we should be better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think a lot of people had this like awakening moment over the pandemic with George Floyd and everything. And they were uh, being like, oh, right. We're all terrible. <laughs> and then now it's been a couple of years and I feel like people are going back to like there's a pullback right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I know like in Hollywood, all the big like diversity people at all the studios have been laid off. Yeah. They, or uh, they've quit. Yeah. Or quit. Yeah. Because they feel like it's it's a worthless gig. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, you know, like diversity plans where it's like, do we need a diversity plan anymore? It's like, we did it. Diversity is all right. done. Yeah. The, like the people aren't marching in the streets. Go back to normal, everybody. Yeah. So it's, you know, econo ec economics too. Like they're like, well, economic times are harder. Like, let's not do this. Yeah. And it's so frustrating to see. Um, well, yeah. well, one of the things that I, I had a great uh, teacher in college and um, one, one reason I think she's great was she, um, while she was criticizing me, she praised me. And she was like, you know, you've got a couple of gay jokes in here and you don't need them. You're a good enough writer that these are kind of easy grade mm -hmm. school type gay jokes. And you're in college now. You've learned. You've read yeah. Tolstoy now. Would you would you kind of like show your 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 maturity a little bit in even your jokes? And I would say that that Hollywood should also be challenged that way. Have you seen Barbie? Yes. Loved Barbie. I thought Barbie did a fantastic job of this. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was very fun, like, uh, you know, and, and, and even more like, you know, everyone knew it was going to be a feminist thing, but like, even like the way they portray Ken, like they give like, they're like, oh, this is like a, the, the, our gender system is the thing we're all trapped under. Yeah. And we're all like, like, like Ken's got issues too. Ken's got issues. And also it, maybe it's innate in men to be the way that it's portrayed in Barbie. Yeah. Um, 
because as soon as Ken saw it on Venice Beach, he was like, this is it. He was like, yeah, patriarch. I'm home. Sweet. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And, and quickly transformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's in our nature? It's a think? good question. Yeah. It, I mean, I think that it is something that's in all of us to, um, you know, like I think it's so hard for people to put themselves in the shoes of others. Yes. And it's a thing where... Uh, you know, the reason why, like, loving your neighbor is such a radical message is we don't naturally do it. Like, <laughs> And it's hard. It's hard. It's real hard. It's like putting people before yourself is that's it's right. crazy hard. Uh, you know, it's something that's, uh, you know, that's sort of a lesson that they have to learn. And, like, what we, characters always have to learn yeah. um, throughout history. It's like, you know, why there's, like, screenwriting structure. Like, another thing that I do is uh, my wife and I write together. We write a lot of TV pilots and stuff. So and, cute, Mike. Uh, I know, right? Come and on now. We've gotten some nice uh, acclaim for it and stuff, and we're, you know, trying to break our way into selling some of that. Um, but you know the the it's sort of all stories go back to like the hero's journey mm-hmm. and you see like uh, you know people like initially have to like you know reject going on a heroic journey because they're like that looks hard yeah uh, and and then you know they get pulled into it and it's yeah Barbie didn't want to go yeah, exactly it, it, when uh, the, the two shoes she gets the choice and, yes. and she's like that one that one no I want to be all right yeah 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 it's like it's uh, it's always a hard choice and. and- by the way, let's not let Barbie off the hook. Yeah. Because she loved bossing the Kens around. Mm-hmm. She loved being the, the queen. She bee. was happy being oblivious. And and totally happy every night only having girls' night. Mm-hmm. So, again, maybe it's not necessarily a, uh, all men are bad mm-hmm. because yeah. the right is, is saying that that's what this movie is, which is not true. Yeah, very oversimplified. Like It's, yeah. it's, that, it's that humans love to boss other people around yeah. and love to feel special and often – Ignore the feelings of others. Yes. Like figuring out how to incorporate other people's needs is so hard. I mean, I think that's one thing that that's like one thing reason why I love writing with my wife is that uh, it's a thing where like, like, oh, I write female characters much better now because I have like a woman here helping me to figure this out. There you go. And it's a thing where like I'm like, like. I look at some old stuff I wrote, and I'm like, oh, that's no. Or, like, it's funny, like, the, you know, we were talking about KPCC. My first big, like, online writing gig was I was volunteering writing for a website about pro wrestling. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, like, even, I, I was, like, my only thing on my, like, other thing on my resume besides my internships, really. And uh, I remember in my interview at KPCC, they, like, pulled up the wrestling website during it. I'm like, oh, they're not going to hire me if they see this wrestling website. Yeah. But, like, I've gone back since and looked at the site, and I'm like, I made some jokes in some of these articles that were, like, thumbs down. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like I... Uh, I I am uh, so happy to have learned since then. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Let's talk about religion. Yes, let's do it. Um, we are both Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you go to church in LA? I have been doing some, like you know, especially during the pandemic, doing like distance watching video online and that sort of I thing. I do too. Yeah. Which church do you uh, tune um, into? I got just recently got into this church in Glendale called Central Avenue. They're very progressive, very um, uh, and uh, and yeah, I like them a lot. But there's a couple different places. I remember when I first came to LA. I went to this place downtown called Tribe, and mm-hmm. it was very. Very like hippy dippy, like uh, you know, we had like drum circles. We were very, 
is like you know uh, a part of like a very uh, you know L.A. type of Christians yeah. in like the like liberal Christian way, and it was uh, I, you know some of my oldest friends were there, and it was like some of the first people I met in L.A. were at that church. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I first moved down here, and I was like. Uh, you know, I, I lived in some not great places when I first came down here. I was living in like this like crappy bedroom in Mount Washington when I first moved here. And, uh, but like I heard about this church on, on the internet and I was, I, I sort of, you know, quietly went in and it was such a great place for, for me to sort of develop and, and figure out who I am in Los Angeles. Right on. Yeah. What, uh, was there a moment that, you just got it about uh, Christianity or the Bible or God or anything like that? There was, was you know, I grew up in a very hardcore atheist family. Like my oh. dad was super, uh, he's like man of science, physics. Uh, he, he was a computer engineer. What uh, background uh, yeah. are your parents? Uh, my dad grew up in a family that was, uh, his mom had been Jewish but converted to Christianity. His dad was also uh, Christian, um, but they were like college professors, and mm-hmm. um, and he, I think he grew up a, with a little bit of that in the family, but he never really believed it. And then he was very atheist uh, as he grew up. And then my mom was uh, sort of nominally Christian. Like I went to church a little bit with her when I was little, but mm-hmm. not. Then my parents split up, and that was sort of the end of that. So uh, your mom took you just once in a while to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Uh, what about your grandparents? Did they make uh, you go to church? My grandmother on my uh, mom's side was very Catholic. I remember when I was very little, she did say prayers with me as uh-huh. I went to bed. Uh, I remember just being terrified, like, wait, wait, you might die before you wake? Like, that's a, <laughs> that's a, 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 a upsetting thing to tell a kid. It yeah, is. but, uh, but well, yeah. Did, like, did she teach you the Lord's Prayer? Uh, no, did not know the oh, Lord's Prayer. So it was just kitty prayers? Yeah, very much, very okay. much. Um and, you know, so, like, growing up, like, then I think by the time I sort of, like, started really thinking about these ideas, I got very much like Christians are idiots. Yeah. Like, what a bunch of morons. This is clearly not true. Um, it was in high school and senior year of high school, uh, you know, I, I – over over my high school time, like, I accomplished all these goals I thought would make me happy. I, like, was doing all these things where I'm, like – I like became like president of my high school radio station. Hey. Uh, figured out like you know I'm like I got into drama, I got into jazz choir, I got into all the stuff, and oh. then I was like, this doesn't make me happy. Like, what's what am I missing? And I think like I sort of started being more open to the idea that there's like what what will make me feel more complete. And as often happens, there was a girl. Uh, Thank God for girls <laughs> uh, who talked me into coming to a youth group thing with her. Uh-huh. Um, and you want to give her a shout out? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, you don't remember her name. I, uh, I may have, I, I, it's been so long, You're man. the perfect married man. <laughs> right. You right? just erased all the women oh, in your man. past. That's want, fine. That's fine. I know. It's good for it's you. Bumming me out. Like, no, no, no. Brownie uh, points. Yeah. Like, uh, it was this, so I went to go to this youth group thing and then like, I was like, eh, like, but yeah. I remember I had this moment where this song, like I was like the two moments I remember the most are I was in the shower and I just remember having this like overwhelming sense of dread come over me and I was just like. Like, what do I do? What in, do I in do? high school? Yeah. Yeah, in high school. And then, like, I remember hearing the song, and it's so cheesy, but uh, it was the song, The New Radicals were, like, one-hit wonders who did the song You Get What You Give. Yes. Uh, and, like, they had, like, this, like, bid in it about 
that I was like sort of like very optimistic message and it like it grabbed me and like made me like sort of gave me like this feeling inside and that it's sort of I feel like it's part of the moment that I started opening up and and sort of thinking there might be something else out there. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was like See this this is okay. For people who may not have already turned off. <laughs> yeah. This is why I like to talk about religion with mm-hmm. people because it it hits us in weird ways. Yeah. That you never see coming, that rarely do you uh, see a depiction of it on TV or in the movies because it does seem cheesy. Yes. Uh, uh, the New York Radicals. Uh, yeah, right? Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of comedy. And again, in Barbie, the, the exactly. songs that matter to them seem cheesy in, in retrospect. Yeah. But, but that's also human nature. Yeah. That we, we are triggered by things that kind of fly under the radar Otherwise, we would have blocked them. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, um, you know, I've always been like a music nerd, and I feel like music was the way that ended up like communicating with me. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting into like uh, Christianity then. And then I think it was like a very like the like evangelical stereotype Christianity. And then I had to sort of work through that and be like, oh, why doesn't this click with me? And I'm like, I had to start figuring out like, oh, here's the kind of believer that I am. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, it was like a, a weird journey, like figuring out like, oh, maybe I uh, am more accepting of gay people than, than some of these other folks. And yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. I remember like my, uh, it, it, and I think that that is something that's, you know, when I came to LA, I tried a bunch of different churches here. And um, I, I think that finding a place that was the right for me was, it's always tough. Like when you're, yeah. uh, especially as someone who didn't grow up in it, it's like it's not my default to go to church. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've been to church all over town, gone to like, conservative ones, liberal ones, um, and L.A. has a little of something for everyone. Sure does. Yeah. Uh, there was a – National Geographic had a special about, uh, I think, either God or – yeah, just about God, just about religion. Uh-huh. And it said that L.A. practices more religions than any other city in the hmm. world. And I get it. I mean – we're next door to the Scientology building. Yeah, you know, they, I, that was. I was like, I, I parked to come do this podcast. I'm like, it's the Scientology building right here. <laughs> like, that's. Uh, I, I'd never do Tony Luke right here. Which, which you would never have probably in a lot of these other cities or countries. Yeah, and um, and L.A. I think is just very open to. I mean, you don't hear about temples getting bombed in mm-hmm. L.A. You know, yeah. and. Um, when I first moved to LA, it's funny. I was staying at a hostel when I first came to town, and uh, I remember like one of my roommates I had at this hostel was saying how he was like had just moved to LA and was trying to become an actor, and he's like, "I'm thinking about joining Scientology. Just uh, I think maybe that's the way to get get going in my career." Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I always think about like like I remember coming here and being like, "That's such the LA stereotype of mm-hmm. uh, you know like there really are people that want to become Scientologists." And- I I mean I've lived here for 22 mm-hmm. years uh their parking lots are always full <laughs> their buses are always full yeah i don't think they have an issue and yet because i want to be a good neighbor <laughs> anytime i talk to uh, odo the security guy i'm like maybe you guys ought to have a bikini car wash out front <laughs> because you're right on sunset people need their car washes true and so now i've expanded it to maybe there should be like a uh, an ev car charging station at your parking lot 
people need their cars charged, and for 15 minutes, they could take the personality test, whatever it is that you guys do over there. Yeah, lure them in. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I have a friend who, you know, another journalism pal who hosts a podcast about cults, and they did an episode, uh, another sort of weird religion-y type of things, and they did an episode where they went under, a series of episodes where they went undercover in Scientology. Oh, and I like, took the classes, they sort of like, you know, started working their way in until they got found out and got kicked out of the church. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's a fascinating, uh, shout out to Ono, Ross, and Carrie for anyone who wants to check that out. It's What's Carrie's last name? Uh, Carrie Poppy. You know, my last guest mentioned her. Yeah, she's great. She carries wow. a delight. Um, How about that? All right. Yeah. We got to yeah. get Carrie on the, on the show. Man. You should. Yeah, Carrie's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, Be- because, because cult is such a, a, a fascinating word. Mm-hmm. Because you told me earlier that you were considering uh, being a pastor yes. when you were in college. Same. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know about you, but the reason I didn't do it was I, I – well, the reason I wanted to do it was – just like what you said about televangelist or evangelism, I love televangelism. And I was like, I love TV. I love God. This is the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I didn't see myself in, in, on TV. So, or anybody in Gen X. They yeah. all seem like older dudes. Even Benny Hinn, who is a little more <laughs> punk rock than the uh-huh. others, just didn't, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't think any of my friends are going to be into this. So I've got to do it. And, but then I realized, well, what if I'm wrong about stuff? I don't want to be, I want to be a good shepherd, but what if I'm a bad shepherd? Uh-huh. What if I'm leading the sheep into a, a bad space? And I, I I just couldn't deal with that. And so that's why. I didn't. Interesting. You know, it's funny. Why, did, why didn't you uh, pursue? Uh, I always wanted to be a communicator. I think that's what led me into working in journalism. And I always have been obsessed with the truth. And what I think is the truth, um, and you know, figuring out what that is. I think that what the the sort of main thing that led me away from getting into being a pastor was like that was the plan right after college. Is uh, you know, I, I was applying the seminary. I uh, same. Was, uh, yeah, I got which, in. Which one did you? Oh, you got I, in. I got into one, and then there was another one that I the one I really wanted to go to. My uh, pastor from college sent her recommendation in late. <gasps> And oh. so, because of that, they said they couldn't consider me for that fall. No. Um, what, so what school was that? It was uh, Princeton Seminary. Uh, In New Jersey? Yeah. Mike and, uh, Rowe could have been <laughs> Pastor could Rowe. Been, could have. Yeah. It's, uh, it was what I was looking at. And then, like, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to defer and see if I can get in uh, if I wait. And then after I waited, I didn't get in there. So uh, after that, I was like, well, I guess this is God telling me don't go do this. Because it was like, I I was like, you know, I got into a a seminary in Minnesota also that I looked at, but I remember they really did not sell me when I went to visit. Because like, I went to college, I transferred to college in Minnesota. I was there for two years. I heard the two years I was there were mild winters. And I was like, (laughs) these are mild winters. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Um, So, you know, it was, I I remember that time, I really didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And I... You know, it's coming down to LA to start figuring stuff out, and um, 
you know, I, I like you know, and and like so many young LA folks living in a bunch of weird places. Uh, I remember when I moved to uh, the Echo Park, Elysian Park area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this roommate who, uh, you know, I was like subletting, and it was like a weird situation. And I don't know what his deal was, but he like I remember like one night, like in the middle of the night, he like knocked on my door, started telling me like he's like, uh, uh, yeah, I got to go meet somebody. Um, and somebody broke into my car and stole my wallet, but I'm going to go pick it up from this guy at this park. And I was like, okay, man. Like, and I, so I ended up driving him to like a weird park. And he says like, I don't need to ride back though. So it, it was just like, he weird stuff like this would happen with this dude all the time. Hmm. Um, and, uh, what do you think he was up to? Uh, you know, I don't totally know. I know that eventually he got us evicted from that place. Um, I remember we got our hot water shit off even. Uh, he wasn't paying the bills? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was, I, I, he was like taking checks from me every month. Yeah. And then, um, where, where in Echo yeah. Park was this? Uh, it was really close to Dodger Stadium. Oh. I remember having to drive from our downtown LA offices home every night. And, uh, on like Dodger game nights, I was like sitting there forever as I tried to get like off to my little side street to, away from the games. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was such a weird thing where, and then like he got us evicted and, and, uh, then like he ran off with my, uh, deposits. No. Uh, like I remember that was like one of my first like big lessons in LA was uh, it, like sort of like set me up not to trust people. Right. And I think that, um, like that. And like, also I remember two times I, you know, when I was first at that hostel, when I moved here, it was in a Pico union. And I remember two times I had, uh, food literally stolen out of my hands on my way home. Out of your hand. Yeah. 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 I remember I, I remember one time, like I had, I was like carrying like a pizza home from like a local delivery place. And then like, like some, like, like three dudes came up and like stole it from me. And I remember, like, I'm like, this is what LA's like. Uh, I was like, you know, I, I'm sure I'll just look like a mark as like a new guy here. And you were pizza mugged. I know I was pizza mugged. And then like another time, I uh, also involving pizza, I had uh, these two <laughs> teens tell me like, like, hey, give me a piece of that pizza. And I was like, I was like, I, I was, you know, a nice kid, so I gave one of them a piece of pizza, and they said like, yeah, give me some more pizza for my brother here. Oh, and then I was like, no, I'm not going to give you guys any more pizza. Then they started, like, following me all the way back to my uh, to my hostel and started, like, swearing at me. Uh, and one of them, like, broke a bottle and, like, started threatening me. And, like, oh, I God. just, like, was like uh, it was just, you know, I, I was like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Delivery only. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I was, like, I was too poor to afford delivery. I couldn't, I couldn't get delivery back then. I couldn't afford a tip. Uh <laughs> Like I was, I had nothing. Like especially when I moved, first moved to LA, like I had like I got like a few hundred bucks in the bank, yeah. and I didn't have the job yet because I came down to interview at KPCC, and like they they you know I I told them I could be down for the in person interview in a week, and I did that. Yeah, and then it was like another month and a half before I got a job, um, and then probably yeah. another couple weeks before you got paid. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, I remember it was like right around I got my my job at KPCC the week of Thanksgiving. And it was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But it was, uh, it was, you know, it's, it's hard when you first come to a new city and you're figuring stuff out. You don't have like anything. <laughs> so. And, and, and you don't know what the bad parts of town are. Yep. You don't know, you don't know anything, yeah. which to me was 
kind of a blessing. It was fun to learn about LA as an adult because I, I moved here when I was 17. Mm-hmm. I was, um, it was the summer, so I probably had about a couple months before I turned 18. But I don't know about you, but the as I drove, the, the street signs and the towns, I was like, I've heard of Canoga Park. Yeah. I've heard of this. Did that happen to you too? I think so. I think it started figuring out like, you're like, oh, this is what people talk about when on TV and stuff and starting to, but yeah, like I hadn't been, I, the only time I'd ever been to California was like, go to like Disneyland and right. uh, it was, it was like such a weird time to learn about. Like, so I lived at Echo Park place, we got evicted and I moved to Silver Lake into it even cruddier place no uh where like it, Wait, there this were, was 2008 maybe yeah it was like late to, like around two days eight two days nine which which is i I'm, i keep cutting you off yeah because yeah, yeah when people talk about silver lake being gentrified and how uh-huh. silver lake used to be bad how echo park used to be bad you experienced all of this. i mean i think this was like as it's gentrifying like i kept moving into places like as they were gentrifying but yeah. like not quite there yet uh, i remember you were like, the tip of the spear exactly exactly i was like i remember that the place had like cockroaches Ugh. it was my first experience dealing with cockroaches <laughs> uh and there was like i remember one night like a uh, skunk sprayed literally under my room silver uh, like skunk yeah exactly so like like everything i owned smelled like skunk no. it was uh, such a nightmare. You were like, baptized in a different way. Exactly, I was re- baptized in the odor <laughs> of the Lord, um, and uh, and then like our landlord was a nut, like very LA. I remember when he first heard I worked in media, he gave me about fifty copies of a DVD of his short film that he will start in. Yeah. He is like. Uh, an Italian dude he spoke very little English, and I was like, I have no power. I cannot do anything with these <laughs> for you. I can. I am not going to be able to get you your Hollywood break. Yeah. But he's like, No, take, take. And I'm like, Okay, okay, I'll take your your DVD. Um, and then also he kept like this giant pigeon coop in the backyard for pigeons. Um, and it was just like they were just like be bird crap everywhere. Yeah. It was disgusting. And then I remember. Uh, uh, I, I moved, finally got a better place away from there. I moved away, and then I remember listening to a podcast and hearing them on the podcast talk about there were these signs all over Silver Lake that were talking about uh, somebody saying that the city was killing his birds. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh crap! And they said the name of the guy. I'm like, that's him. That's my landlord. Oh my god! It was uh, it was very much like I'm like, oh man, I I. Uh, moved out of a nightmare. What did you like about your time in Echo Park? I really, really loved being in... Um, I, you know, I like the vibe of like it being you know, young-ish people. Mm-hmm. I liked being able to, um, you know, get anywhere in town pretty easily because it's sort of pretty central to all the stuff I wanted to go to. I've never been a West Side guy. I was always like, you know, I got involved in UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade Comedy. Oh, with, doing, uh, on Franklin? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Doing a bunch of like improv and sketch and stuff. And that was like my big obsession for a few years. Um, and, you know, that's like, that's in Los Feliz. So it's like, that's like the, right in that area. And, uh, and yeah, like that was where I always had to be. So, um, did you, I mean, 
Did you run into people who ended up being big stars? Uh, I did. You know, I know that I have uh, a lot of friends who went on to much more success than I have. Uh, but, you know, they went, uh, you know, I, I think that most of them on the writing sides, not necessarily people that mm-hmm. they know. But I remember, like, one of my favorite ones was in um, a sketch comedy class I took with uh, I, this girl who, like, I felt like I recognized her. I realized it's because she has two million followers on Twitter. Oh. Because uh, she was one of the people who literally, like... When you sign up for Twitter, you, they used to recommend accounts that you follow. She was one of them. Because Who's this? Allison Augusti. Uh, she was like, she's a, she went on to write for like Brooklyn Nine Nine, a mm. bunch of different shows. But like, I was just like in sketch comedy class with her, and it was was, was she good in in the in the class? She was good. She was good. I remember uh-huh. I was in the writing group for with her for a while after that. She was great, and it's um, you know I know a lot of people want to do like big TV things, and it's very interesting sort of seeing like the way that people come up through that like system and mm-hmm. uh you know it was amy polarized this quote where she says that um you know just if you want to break into hollywood just go do comedy do it for 10 years and then your friends will give you jobs was is her philosophy you know mm. circles back to what we're saying about like who mm-hmm. you know and stuff and uh and you know so many folks i know like uh got opportunities and did that stuff yeah yeah, I mean, I've, I've tried to avoid doing uh, Hollywood and TV and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's and, interesting. And I want to avoid it because I, I don't want people to have the impression that everybody in L.A. is is working in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of dotted lines to Hollywood. And yeah. If, if you live on this side of the mountain and and there's microphones in front of you or you're writing <laughs> you're you're gonna be somewhat affiliated with those people. i mean i think one of the things that brings people to la is even if they aren't working in hollywood they have like a creative spirit to them like yes. i think that's what the city's about yeah is you know i think that's one thing we're seeing from like the sag and wga strikes is it's also it's like not a lot of those people who get work doing these things like that's not the only thing they do like, I remember one of my first buddies who I met at this little indie pro wrestling show when I moved to town. Uh, his uh, day job was he worked for the government, and so he would travel all over the country to disaster areas. And how about, like, after Katrina, after mm. all those things? Like, he would be going and inspecting homes and that sort of thing, going to get brought in to do that. But, like, he also was a background actor and, like, would appear in, like, episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> or uh, random things like that. So, but, like, he never made enough money from that to be that to be his gig. And then yeah. so many people, and, like, so many people we know at KPCC, like, or, were also actors, also mm-hmm. uh, musicians, also creative folks. Because it's, like, you know, it's a very, very tiny percentage of people actually make a living doing the Hollywood thing. That's right. Uh Let's let's double back about yes. KPCC real yes. quick. So it sounds like you were there for 15 years. Yes, if I'm doing Over my 15 math. 15 years, right? yeah. Um, tell me some of your highlights. Uh, I think some of your favorite moments there. Some of my favorite moments there. Um, you know, I got to start one of our very first blogs, doing uh, a blog called Without a Net. It was my idea. It was like, oh, let's do like a a group blog with all the people on the digital side writing about pop culture. And uh, I was the only one who cared enough to write for it. So uh, so I wrote that blog. I got nominated for a LA Press Club Award for it. Congratulations. Cool. Um, I got last place in the category because, yeah. you know, competing against people who were at much bigger publications. Right. Um, but it was uh, it was really exciting to get to do that. Um, you know, I love doing TV Pilot Club. Uh, I really loved getting to – I love hosting events. I loved getting to – 
cover entertainment. Um, you know, it was an article I wrote for LAist. You know, when we first acquired LAist, relaunched that site, there was like a really tiny period of time where there was like, I feel like there was some real possibility. And it was maybe the most successful time we had was when a lot of the people in digital were just doing really interesting projects. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wrote was an oral history of the werewolf bar mitzvah scene from 30 Rock. And <laughs> I remember this. Yes, and that's what led to me, and I won an LA Press Club award for that Congratulations. story. And then... You beat uh, those bastards. <laughs> right? Then a publisher reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do a whole book about this. What? So that's that's how you the book came about. You didn't pitch the thing? No, I didn't pitch the thing. It was publishers said like, like, hey, I saw you wrote this article. Do you want to write a whole book about this? Um, and, you know, it was weird because i got the call about the book literally like the week my mom died oh. and so it was like i was in such a weird headspace so i sort of I, I was sort of figuring it out for a while i was like eh, do i want to do this but it's like I, i'm a lot's going on right now yeah. but then i was like my mom wouldn't want me to miss this opportunity right so i said yes and signed the dotted line in december of 2019 okay and then uh wait i always plans to go to new york and interview people and then the pandemic happened oh, the, the bastard yeah um but, you know, it was an uh, amazing opportunity to talk with a lot of very cool folks from the show, guest stars. I got to interview Pee Wee Herman recently Whoa. passed, uh, who was absolutely delightful, uh, yeah. just as cool as you'd want him to be. Yeah. Um, and it was like, uh, you know, like, I, I'm like so thankful to KPCC that I got to do those kind of things. And like mm -hmm. all my friends are so excited. They're like, you work for KPCC? That's so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it always has had its ups and downs, and, like, there's times when it's more, like, I'm like, oh, I want to do this creative thing. They're like, mm, we need this other non-creative stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, all right, I can okay, do that. But, but and we're, we're not here to bash yes, KPCC yes. at all. God bless them. Amen. Um, but. Yes. The almighty but. <laughs> you win the Press Club Award, which I haven't met a media outlet that doesn't embrace getting a Press Club Award. Uh, I remember there being a lot of um, upsetness by other folks because I won the press club award. A lot of other folks in KBCC didn't win that year, um, and it <laughs> and, seems and they like, were mad at who? It seems like a lot of times they they started not applying for as many press club awards after that. It was oh, sort of come on, uh, kids! You know, you can't win them all. Exactly right. Unless um, you're uh, who had like all of their press club awards on their shelf. It's a good. Question. I think Sharon McNary did, I right? Think that, uh, Paul Glickman, uh, right? You know, there's, uh, you know, I think that we do they such good work at KPCC, and yeah. like I, I miss being a part of them. It was sad seeing uh, a lot of folks. I just got laid off from there. Is why I'm uh, in the market. I, I, I'm just got a new gig that I'm probably going to be starting soon, working covering entertainment. Um, Congratulations! But thank you so much. But it's, uh, it's a weird thing because like I think that they're for a long time, public radio was cool because they had a business model that worked because people gave them money because they cared about them, which is better than what newspapers had because yes. no one wanted to read it, pay for a newspaper anymore. That's right. Um, and now that's falling apart because, uh, you know, people who donate are getting older and older. Young people are not listening to the radio. True. Uh, and the pandemic made that happen way faster because people on their commutes are not going on commutes anymore. Everyone's which, which, is, which is why it was smart for KPCC to, to get LA. Yes. Because Elaist had something like 700,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. KPCC only had 100,000. Mm -hmm. Even though they have this giant beacon, even though they have these lovely personalities like Larry Mantle and yourself. And yet they 
for some reason, their blind spots seem to be younger people. And yeah. and so to absorb LAist who owned uh, young people, like they totally got each other, was genius. What to me, and I can be a little critical, <laughs> to me was they never really went down that path. I mean, I think the problem is that... Uh, you know, you can see it as a problem when they got acquired is that like the media institution and the cool independent institution, like if the media institution embraces the spirit of the independent institution, that's one thing. If you make the independent institution become the media institution, then you're not, you're, you're ending up creating something that's not as good as either of the things. Right. Um, and you you can't put a a suit on Bart Simpson. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's going to, he's going to struggle with the tie. He's not going to still be saying, eat my shorts. And it's like, (laughs) there was no more eat my shorts. Um, you know, I think that it's, tough like right now especially like the thing that people came to sites like LAist for was like I even knew LAist before I even lived in LA because it was really? like uh like in the early days because it was like Gothamist there was like one for all these True. cities and like I was like oh LAist I'll read about LA a little and yeah uh it was like just had a voice and like a, a thing to it and I mm-hmm. think that that's what was so cool about that like blog era yes. and then a lot of that's continued in podcasting yep. um, and now podcasting has like an advertising slide and like mm-hmm. everyone's figuring out how do you compete there um, and like that's another thing that's like you know I, I know that in LAS they uh, bet big on podcasts and then now those are having issues so they have to cut back there right uh, and, which, which yeah. I think is okay yeah because I don't think you should do things just because they're big. Yes. I think you should do things because you love it. I mean, I think you have to commit to a thing, though. Like, whatever you do, right. like, commit to it and do it for a while. Yes. And then, like, I think that the— So, so let me ask you this, yeah. then. It, and I'm so sorry I keep cutting you off. No, I you, totally appreciate you're, you're, it. You're one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my whole life. And when you got laid off, everybody echoed that. Did you feel that love when you got I did. Laid? I did feel All that right, love. So, so here's the question I have about podcasts at L.A. since you were there. Yeah. One of the other people that got laid off was the guy that invented the podcast that was the number one version there. Mm-hmm. So I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Yeah. And to your point about you've got to commit to something, Springsteen's first three albums, as great as they were and still are great, some of my favorite albums mm-hmm. ever, did not sell to the extent that Columbia Records wanted it to sell. And he was kind of screwed if his fourth album didn't take off. He was probably going to get fired. And thank God for all of us, that fourth album was Born to Run. And and he worked his tail off on it, and it was a huge hit, and he was able to do it. Nowadays, bands don't get four albums to, to prove themselves. Likewise, it doesn't seem like podcasts get four years, five years, six yeah. years to grow an audience and to make it happen. And, and what intrigues me about the relationships of podcasts and KPCC is we can we can wring our hands about the fact that sometimes um, print organizations like the LA Times or the LA Weekly don't understand the web. Likewise, when radio outlets don't understand the web or podcasts, we, we can understand that. But they should kind of understand podcasts a little bit better because it's just a baby version of the radio show, right? Or maybe a, a more modern version of the radio show. I think it is a more modern version of the radio show. And, I and, think- so, and so my question is, why would they kill their number one podcast? Uh, you know, I mean, they're still doing the podcast. They just removed the guy who oh, assembled it. Uh, I didn't know that. That podcast is still happening. So they, they kept the product 
But Axe the Dude? Yeah, I mean, he was the one who, like, produced it, but he wasn't the, like, voice of it. He wasn't the host. So, you know, it sort of shows, like, how much goes into... You know, the hosts are easy, are harder to remove than it is to remove the mm. like behind the scenes folks. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a tough thing. I think that there are, uh, you know, so many like I think what you're saying, though, about, um, you know, podcasts being little radio shows. There's like such a difference, though, because like. I, I feel like you need a bigger hook to get people into podcasts yeah. because podcasts like you can have just like a chat show on the radio. You can have a thing mm-hmm. like that. But like if you bring a new thing on the like when you're competing against everything else in iTunes. Yeah. Uh, in, in Apple Music, like you have to have like a grabby thing and especially like figuring out something people want to come back for regularly is so tough. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many big like limited series things. People come in for a minute like we all love cereal. Uh, no one talks about cereal anymore. Like they got Bob by the New York Times, but like it's sort of got absorbed but, into but that. But cereal, brand. we just love the story. Yes, and that story ended, mm-hmm. and so it's like I I feel like people were fooled by that. I mean, they, it reminds me of like in movies when they're like from the executive producers right. of this other thing you love. It's like mm, I don't care that much about the executive producers. <laughs> I care about that particular movie I saw. Right. So Bob Schwartz. What? Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. Adam Sandler. Oh, that reminds me. Oh, uh, my <laughs> wife and I recently uh, binged through Project the early Project Greenlight. Uh, and it's not on any streaming platforms. It's on you know illicit websites because... It's not on HBO? Wasn't that an HBO thing? It was an HBO thing, uh, but it was those early seasons are produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh. And you see Harvey Weinstein show up in season two. No. Like, like So like because it's like that version of Miramax, I'm like, this is never going to be seen anywhere ever again. Um, and But it's... it's a, a, watching that show was an amazing education in like what makes Hollywood work, what are like like how to be a manager too, like seeing these like young kids thrown into like directing movies and like them screwing it up yeah. is like such a good way of seeing like oh like here's the here's the lessons they're missing mm-hmm. and um you know I, we just like we we binged like three seasons of this over the weekend yeah and uh, I, I'm like I'm like I, I gotta figure out how to go out and be better and do this stuff like there's right. like. That, like there's a more modern one that's up on uh, Max still, but the first three seasons are are erased and probably will always be erased because Harvey Weinstein's there. They use like the <laughs> the uh, you know it's these Boston guys using like the R word to describe people. Oh, yeah. uh, it was a different time. Yeah, it's like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are chain smoking throughout the whole thing. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's like it's like this is like some honest Hollywood stuff here. So and yet yeah. I was never uh, interested in watching it when it was out. Yeah, I I was I was too poor. I could never have HBO. Like I <laughs> like I was like I finally have HBO because my wife works at Warner Brothers. Oh, so like uh, like you know she works in marketing over there. So uh-huh. I think that that's. Um, you know, like that's my connection with uh, Hollywood. And you know, it's like she's so far removed from anything. It's like she yeah. works, you know, five steps behind the scenes. So it's but you know. but so, so but she still has a gig. Yes, exactly. Great. Thank God for that. Yeah, I'm like like when I got laid off, I was like, I'm still on my wife's health insurance. Oh, good. I feel good about that. Like I'm like I felt so bad for other people that got laid off who didn't yeah. have those kind of like. Uh, resources who are in like much more dire health circumstances are yeah. older are etc like that's a thing that I really want to do in journalism like why I've stayed in journalism this long is like having to like give voice to people like that mm-hmm. so let me ask you one final thing yes. about LASKPCC because we could we could talk for hours, and hours <laughs> yes exactly because fortunately we were, uh, we got to work with each other mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was beautiful. Honestly beautiful, because you are just like me. You're down for whatever. You just want it to be interesting. You want to fill the gaps that aren't out there. And, um, and so it was, it was beautiful to work with you. One of the things, though, that you did that I've never been able to do is you helped form a union over there. It's true. You know, it was we we unionized in 2014, I believe it was. Uh, and, you know, I remember when it first started, I didn't know, like, that much about unions or anything. And then it, it was started coming together. And, you know, there were a lot of folks who were, I think, at first, though, it was because of the tension between, like, radio and digital. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these radio folks weren't ready for digital at the time. And I think that was, like, the initial unionization urge came from more of the radio side. And, uh, you know, I was... Ra- radio wanted the union? I think so. I think that Because was, they were nervous that their jobs would be taken yeah, away? Exactly. I think it was, oh. like, they were nervous about, like blogs coming in about yeah. uh, about like them having to write for the website as well as the radio. Uh, and, and you know, I think this is why KPCC approached me after I was laid off at the LA Times, was they're like, we're going through the same thing over here. And you were able to kind of pull it off over there. I was mm-hmm. like, well, did I? They still showed <laughs> me the door. Uh-huh. They're like, you pulled it off. Yeah. And, um, and I did have similar uh experiences at kpcc trying Mm -hmm. to get uh people to enter the modern world yes and and you use the word have to which i think that they felt why do i have to also write Mm -hmm. for the web which i heard at the la times too and i was like you're a writer yeah this is like being a horny guy at the club (laughs) i've got to kiss the blonde yeah we want more you get to kiss the blonde you get to kiss the redhead you get to kiss all of them you don't want to write for the web? I mean, it's it bums me out. Like, I've always considered myself a writer. That's what I do first and foremost, whether that's writing screenplay stuff, writing journalism, whatever it is. I remember recently, you know, there's a lot of AI stuff going on. Yeah. I heard somebody say, like, you know, like, well, we could have uh, AI, uh, you know, <laughs> write the story so you could just go out and do the reporting and not have to actually write anything. I'm like, no, writing's the sexy part. Yeah. Writing's the part I want to do. I love crafting a sentence and like I don't want the AI to take the, my reporting and write it. I want so to hold, write hold on. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I missed something. Yes. At KPCC because they read they did do an article two weeks after they laid off you people mm-hmm. Saying we tried to do an AI podcast and it failed. I remember I was in a meeting where somebody pitched that project, where the the, the fake AI podcast and, yeah. and being able to do that. Like, so I, it, it's it's still you think in their DNA that that the ultimate goal, if there was a program that was sharp enough and human enough. That that's what they would want to do. I mean, I think a lot of companies. I think it's what they'd want to do. I think that. But those, but that's not the soft fuzzy KPCC. Now, I mean, here, it's you know, I was on an AI task force before I left the company. Like it was. I think that there's really cool things we can do with AI. I think that I don't yeah. want to replace humans with it. Right. I think that there is a push we've seen in Hollywood. We've seen, you know, we just negotiated a new union contract at LAS KPCC, um, and. I know that with all the ASF coming up, people from the union tried to talk about that and get it into the contract, and mm-hmm. the company wasn't ready to get any of that in the contract. Right? Because, Why would they? Uh, because, like you know, they they they're like you know, this could be standard business in the future. Right. Um, and, you know, which is understandable from like a management corporate perspective, sure. but obviously from the human perspective, which we're seeing with like WGA and SAG, it's like, you give, there's a lot of concerns about this AI stuff. Yeah. And Here, I think that, here's yeah. where I think AI could, yeah. could be good in journalism. Yes. My research, 
Because what is research most of the time? It's it's going to videos, watching mm-hmm. the videos, it's it's reading old articles, it's reading books, yeah. reading magazines, all these things. If if all of this is out there, let the robots get it, bring it back, and organize it. One of the things I thought was the most exciting is like when I was talking to somebody on this AI group was about like we could use AI to create like a dossier on a subject area and then like give that to like your general assignment reporter. Like you're making them go out there and cover something, like let them get right in on it. I was talking to a reporter recently who was saying how she was live on the air and the host asked the question and they did not know the answer to this question because they were like a general assignment reporter and hadn't yeah. been on this subject area so they had to like quickly go to like slack and start asking as they're vamping on live radio yeah uh, to get somebody to tell them like what the hell is this question about yeah uh and you know if we could have people be more read in that would be great mm-hmm. i think that having um you know we have being able to do research there's there's like ai now that can like listen to stuff and give you transcriptions so like yeah. have it sit through all these city council meetings right and now that those are streaming you can just like put the ai ai on it and get like the audio of this and then say like what are the th- important things in this that mm-hmm. I, we should talk about one of the the people that impressed me at uh kpcc was pat morrison mm-hmm. and uh because I had always always seen her. I mean, she's yeah. impossible to miss. Hats, um, hats right. everywhere. Uh, at the LA Times, I always saw her. But I saw her every day at KPCC, and we were feet away yeah. from each other. She was super impressive, and that led me to start listening to Larry Mantle. And I remember there was a windstorm one day where, um, uh, what's the, is it called Central Park in Pasadena, right by the station? Oh, I know what you're talking about. I yeah, didn't know I think this, it's called yeah. Central Park. As weird as that is. <laughs> Anyways, that turned out to be kind of the worst devastation of, of that. But while Larry was on the air, and it was an inspiration for me to do this. Anybody that he talked to, he'd be like, uh, he'd like, oh, uh, uh, Cerritos is calling in. How's the wind in Cerritos? And the lady would talk, and he'd say, oh, yeah, uh, I love eating at Frank's Hot Dogs over there on, on Palm Avenue. And I'm like, Larry is able to do this with every single mm-hmm. person. AI could feed a non-Larry. Yeah. You know, because Larry is older. And so, of course, he he knows more about LA. Yep. But imagine you're a 22-year-old person filling in in the middle of the night who's from Seattle by way of uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota. How great would it be if AI gave you little pointers of the conversation to guide you? You still have to talk. You still have to be a conversationalist. You still have to give a crap. And if you're smart, you don't talk about what AI tells you to talk about if you really don't know the next couple of questions. Yep. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, I mean, I think that, like when I first moved to L.A., the like my godsend when I got here was this book, Not for Tourists. And it was div- broken up by neighborhood. It was like, here's what Echo Park is. Here's like a like, one page summary of what Echo Park is. I got Here's what Silver book. Lake is. I don't know if they still make them or whatever, but like they had them. It was like a tour guide book for at least a few years around then. And they had them for different cities. And it was like, you know, here's the vibe of this place. Like, here's like the hipster area. Here's, huh. it said like it recommended re- local radio stations. Wow. It was like, I was like, this is what I, like, I was like, 
when I went around LA, I was trying to figure out where to live. Like that was how I figured it out was looking huh. at this. That's why I love everything like here in LA is it's about like all these different neighborhoods. Like LA is such a complicated place from like, it is. We talk LA County has like 88 cities. Yeah. We did a segment on that in KPCC. Yeah. And then LA itself is like a million different neighborhoods. Right. And, uh, it's, it's like, you know, what's the difference between this thing? Like, like being able to be like, no, the East side is not East LA. And like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, figuring out how do you communicate all of that. Did you work with A. Martinez? I did. I love A. Martinez. Me too. My absolute favorite dude. We would geek out over comic book stuff because he's yes. a comic nerd. Yes. Uh, he, you know, seeing his success is one of the things I've been the most excited about. The best dude. I'm so excited he's hosting for NPR now. Me too. Um, and, you know, there, there are people like that, like who, you know, I, I always think about the people who supported me and what I did at KBCC over the years. People like you, people like mm -hmm. uh, Ian Martinez, people like John Horn. I yeah. always loved working with. Did, um, did you work on uh, the, uh, the the frame? John, yes, I that's worked right. on the frame. I, I got to do. You know, we were tr we were talking about digital and trying to make things more digital. They did a thing where they had me embedded for six months as like a digital producer for the frame, uh, and like helping them to like explain like how can we turn radio stuff into digital stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it's still being worked on all this time later. Yeah. I remember, like, I always sort of joke around that, like, you know, John I, Horn, by the way, also shown the door. Yeah, yeah. She, he he decided to leave because they did. They, you know, he, the, the frame got suspended when they, the pandemic happened. Yeah, and then he was doing some podcasts. And I remember I interviewed to be a producer on one of his podcasts. It was another podcast that they were working on. He spent like a year trying to prep this other podcast. And then the executive producer left, and they couldn't find a good co-host, so they cut the project. Mm. And it was, I, and then couldn't yeah. find a co-host. Yeah, they were trying to get like work with agencies, get like the right host for this. And LA is is filthy with talent. Yeah, I mean, and like you know, after they let John go, like you know, a lot of people were saying like, "Why don't you cover entertainment?" Yeah. And I was like, "That sounds great," but like, <laughs> uh, you know, now there's there's well, no also one okay. It. Let's yeah. rewind just a little bit. I worked for John at the LA Times. Yeah. Uh, when I was at the Academy, he would do a lot of the um, post uh, interviews yeah. with, the, with the celebs. He has the perfect voice. He's he is a real journalist, so mm -hmm. he knows the right questions to ask, and he's clearly obsessed with movies. Yes, I thought he would be the perfect fit at KPCC. That that is that is the blueprint, right? Yeah. You know, it bums me out that like he like they, they couldn't find another show for him after the pandemic. I think that it's like with that advertising crash, like they didn't have the advertising they felt to bring oh, the show oh, back. That and, was the thing. I mean, that's my guess. That's when I'm not wasn't as involved with anymore. Which at the time, is still but. hard for me to believe that yeah. these movies have giant budgets. And okay, when I went from the LA Times to KPCC, all of my friends were so much happier for me than when I was even at L LA Times, which was my dream job. They're like, I listen to KPCC every day. I don't read the newspaper every day. I was like, I was like, KP, who? <laughs> I, I listen to Howard Stern. My fr were, were your friends the same way about, about when you... Or, or new strangers or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's like funny. When I first came to L.A., like the NPR station here is KCRW. Cause right. I was a music nerd, so yes. I knew like they have a, a nationwide profile when it comes to music. Yes. KPCC was like a thing. I'm like, what's KPCC? But, but the yeah. smart people of L.A. Yes. loved it. Yes. Like I've never seen so much love for mm -hmm. a media outlet. Have you? No, I haven't either. Like right. I think that uh, KPCC, like, uh, you know, people might get the call letters wrong. That's why they changed <laughs> to L.A.ist. 
Um, but like, like I, I just literally got an email after I was laid out by a friend I've known since like 2007, 2008, yeah. uh, who put KPPC in uh, the email. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I see why they changed the call letters. Yeah. Like they tried getting a new name. But okay, but my point is, is that if I'm an advertiser and, and I live in LA, if I know anything about LA, I would love to advertise at KPCC. I mean, I think because it's the, the aging... smart people are there, uh, uh, especially if it's a if it's an A twenty four film. Where else am I going to go? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the aging demographic and the decline in radio audiences. Like, radio audiences are going down because people are turning to podcasts. People are yeah. turning to, uh, you know, YouTube, are turning to different formats. But, but, that's, but I'm talking yeah. about the John Horn podcast. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think that It they, seems like it's a no-brainer. It really would have been cool if they could figure out a way to make that work because the studios do still spend a ton of money on award season stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's it, – although, you know, this year the Emmys just got delayed because Which of – Which is the, good. Yeah, I mean, good for the union, but also, like, you know, that means that that advertising is not going to be coming at the same time for radio stations. Oh, uh, is that what I should think about? I mean, that's a thing that, like, from the business side, I can see, like, why they're, they might have issues this year. Yeah. Like, it's going to, you know, you sort of see the trickle down of the strike and the way, you know, L.A., you know, it, there's a lot of other stuff that happens in L.A., but there is, it is such a big, the industry, the, the movie industry is such a big part of things that it does affect businesses like radio, like newspapers, like those ads aren't going to be going out ahead of this September for award season for the Emmys. Right. Mr. Mike Rowe, let's finish with this. How old are you, by the way? I am 40. Perfect. Perfect. This is why I say perfect. I became the editor of LAist when I was 40. And it began all of my dreams coming true. And, uh, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful run. Uh, when people worry about turning 40, I say, please look at my example. And because I feel like in your 20s and 30s, you're kind of figuring out what you're good at. You, um, you learn how to overcome obstacles. Any, 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 I think it's easier after you're, after you're out of your 30s. And, you know, I heard this Tori Amos quote about turning 40. And she was talking about how, like, when you turn forty, like, you become start becoming like the cool classic car. Like, you're, uh, you've been around. You start to like, you, like, you, like, you know, it's talking about like how hard it is being in your twenties and thirties. And I remember, like, I, like, you know, I think LA has made me much more age conscious than I ever was True. living anywhere else. Um, I, you know, especially a lot of my comedy friends, like I'm still connect with comedy community, even though I don't do that anymore. Like, and I hear friends being like, oh, I just turned 30. Like, or like my friend is like, oh, I'm 35. I can never be anything. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, like you still can. I believe in you. Yeah. And plus I'm older and still trying to do something with my life. Right. So like, you know, and but, I know so many people like who are still like, you know, trying to do cool, creative things. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's a thing where like, you can't let that stand in your way. Like, I mean, like, I'm like, you know, my wife and I, we still write scripts together. We're still trying to break into things. And it's like, you know, like we we wrote a script recently inspired by my uh, I had an uncle who was in the Hawaiian mafia. Wow. So I just wrote wrote, we wrote a thing about that. Are you Hawaiian? I am a quarter Hawaiian. How? My mom's from Hawaii. I'm 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 a Hawaiian and Puerto Rican on my mom's side. 
What a combo! Yeah, right. You're yeah, an my, island boy. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, I was born in California, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, but my mom was the only one of her. She has she's one of five. She was the only one to come to the mainland. So I have like 19 cousins over there. Do you uh, visit there often? Uh, I haven't been for a long time, especially since my mom passed. I've been meaning to get back though. Yeah. Um, I haven't been since I was a kid because like they it was sort of like weird estrangement and all that sort right. of thing. Um, but yeah, like I have this uncle who he was murdered before I was born because he was in the Hawaiian mafia and was not a good dude. Uh, you know, so over the pandemic, I sort of started researching him and that was one of the scripts we wrote recently was about, about inspired by that. Yeah. Uh, I found like this book, uh, and my uncle's name is in the index, wow. which I was like, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> but, Why not? Uh, uh, I mean, you know, he was a guy who he, uh, got killed because he sold heroin, I believe to somebody. Okay. And then... Uh, that guy overdosed, and his oh. friend came and killed my uncle. Oh, um, and uh, and yeah, it was like you know, fascinating to read about. Like I've heard, I hear weird stories about from family too, like about how you know he they people like my mom stumbled upon like these hidden like guns and money in his place, and <laughs> uh, it was like such a wild thing because I'm such a square. Like I'm like, uh, you know, oh I'm come like, on, you. <laughs> Comic books, wrestling, true, true. Yeah, I mean, public like, radio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, so learning about that was cool. But I think that it was, I'm trying to figure out how we got on, how we got on this. But. Because I'm oh, asking yeah. you this question. Yes. Your dreams. Yes. I mean, Be- because I, this is this is why. Yeah. It was it was always my dream to do something a little bit punk rock because I too felt like a square. I still feel like a square. I mean, what, what you know? It, and maybe we all do. I was just thinking on the way over, I'm like, I'm like, Tony Pierce is the coolest guy I know. Oh, God bless you. Yeah. I, God I, bless I, you. But I still, I mean, whatever. I feel like I just got off the bus from Illinois and, um, and I look up to people like who truly are punk rock and, and don't honestly don't care. Like I may come off as I don't care from time to time, but I care deeply and so, um, I mean, I think that's the thing that I've learned too, is like, I had so little self-esteem and I've had so little, like when, especially when I first came here, but I think like over time learning more and more that like, it doesn't matter what the hell other people think about right. me. Like what matters is that I keep trying to do cool, creative stuff. Yes. I think the thing is that like, I've known that like, I have creativity that I can do cool things, but it's hard to like be like, well, no one else believes that. Right. And like, I need to like stop think trying to imagine what other people think. Yes. Like, you know, like I, I, I got into therapy during the pandemic, and like my therapist is like, you got to stop trying to mind read. Like, right. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, right, can't mind read. I'm like, as much as I read comics and think people can mind read, I can't mind read. Well, but, but this helped me, and, and I hope, I hope this will help you too. My hero was Charles Bukowski, mm-hmm. who got rejected yeah. famously for decades. Yep. And only until his 50s did a publisher finally discover him and say, you don't have to be a mailman anymore. Uh, whatever they're paying you at the post office, I'll pay you to write stories and poems. And if I hadn't had uh, a North Star like Bukowski, I would have looked at rock stars who not only succeeded in their 20s, but died in their 20s and and thought that 35 was over the hill, 40 was over the hill. I mean, I think the thing that I've also been learning more, I think that uh, over the last few years is it's sort of all these people who have success, like, you know, they have all the failures you can't see, plus so many of the people that are successful, like their parents, they're blue on Wikipedia. They have... (laughs) 
they have like money. They come from yeah. a background. That was the thing watching. I just watched the season four of Project Greenlights. There was this dude who was so privileged as the guy who won the contest. And like he had made a bunch of indie films and stuff and never had a job. Mm. Like because he never had to. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, those of us who've had to do that, we've had to go through more. We're like, some of my favorite yep. actors, even like Julia Louis Dreyfus, comes from like European royalty. She like, does, uh, yeah. She has like she has, her family is super rich. Wow! Like she did not ever have to work. Like I remember, huh. I've heard stories from people in comedy who said like when she did like Second City, like they'd go to be doing touring Second City stuff and get to a town, and she's like, "Oh, this hotel is not good enough," and would go like get everybody a cool hotel room. Oh, that's cool. And like you know, it's like it's cool that she's using that, but like you yeah. can't compare yourself to these people no. who have all that. Uh, you know, come from like be landing, on, starting on third base. But but I I, you're right. But I feel like it's easier to beat those people. True. Because I am going to be up until three in the morning, mm -hmm. making sure that the blog post for this episode is fantastic. Yes. You know. Whereas if 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 I was in my Malibu beach house, either I'd be uh, ordering some more cocaine <laughs> or asleep, because who cares if it's successful or not? Which. Again, I care. I want everything to be a huge hit, which is why I'm so sorry that we worked together at the only place that I, I wasn't <laughs> successful at. I mean, it's like, I, I think that, you know, it is still having that drive. And that's the thing, you know, that Project Greenlight season four winner, he didn't direct any other movies after that. Interesting. Like, it's the thing where, you know, you see like when, like, cause he was sort of like frustrated by the process and like didn't get oh. everything he wanted. And like, you know, we're used to not getting everything we wanted. Like, right. it's right. Like, we're going to keep doing it because like, <laughs> We'll, we'll do the stuff we like, and we're not ever going to get everything we want because, yes. like, that's all we can do. Like, we're broken like that. But I also think we have better stories to tell, too. Yes. We have better stories to tell, and we're willing to tell them. Mm -hmm. If if I was um, a Nepo baby, I might not name drop yeah. the my famous friends or my famous friends' uh, parents. But if, if, like Drake says, if we start at the bottom, who cares who you talk about? Right. You know, because they're hopefully they're happy for us as we make our way out of the ghetto. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that it's uh, a thing where, you know, I know I can't I can't give up. I'm going to keep going. OK, gonna, so yeah. that's 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 my final question. For yes. You. Not to disparage whatever job is going to pay you <laughs> in the next couple of years. Uh -huh. I imagine that's not your dream, 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 dream. Yes. Just like LAist was my dream, but I knew. I'm not going to be doing a blog for the rest of my life. Turned out I kind of was. But but I knew that that wasn't the end of the rainbow. I also knew that Jen Chung, the uh, the editor of Gothamist, was such a superstar that I would never be able to be as great as she was. Um, but I did have higher aspirations. What are your dreams, Mr. Micro? You, know, you write these scripts. Yes. Do you want to write scripts the rest of your life? I think I do. I think that um, I'd love to write for – have stuff – of sell for TV. I'd love to, my wife and I would love to be a writing team writing for television. Has there been a, a husband and wife writing team? There have, you know, the people who did the good wife, uh, husband and wife writing team. Uh, you know, I know that we've gone, my wife and I, we go to the Austin Film Festival every year because it's sort of like Comic-Con for screenwriters. Okay. Uh, and we've always gone to the panels with like the married screenwriting teams. There's like a handful of them that have done really well for themselves. There, and, I've heard yeah. of brothers and, uh, brothers. Yes. Uh, like Duffer Brothers and the Russos did the right? Avengers movies and yeah. who, who are the Matrix people? That is the Wachowski sisters. Now sisters. Yes. 
Are they twins? Uh, I don't think they are. I think one but, of them's older. But they followed the same path. Yes, which yes, is fascinating. Very right? much. Yeah, I have a friend who actually just wrote a book about uh, the Matrix. Uh, who wrote a book about the trans allegories of the Matrix, uh, and who is trans and, and obviously connected with all of that. So do you think it's easier for siblings or a married couple to be writing partners? It's a good question. I think that I would guess for siblings, but I grew up as an only child. So, oh. I, I well, I, I have a half-brother who's 20 years younger than I am. So right. he's he's... He's like 18 or 19 now. He just got out of high school. He's like figuring stuff out. But yeah. like he's my Gen Z connection. Good. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think that as a as a married team, though, like we like spending time with each other. Right. We're, uh, it's it's like we know how each other think. I think that like being, you know, it's coming from different places gives us more stories to tell. Yeah. I think that I uh, love being able to like, you know, incorporate different stuff about our gender backgrounds, about mm-hmm. our uh, racial backgrounds, about mm-hmm. like all the stuff that we have these different experiences that makes better stories. And, you know, there's two of us writing them. So Barbie, yeah. it just dawned on me, created by yeah. husband and wife team. Yeah. You know, it's uh, obviously Greta Gerwig directed, but, you know, she works with Noah Baumbach, like they're, they're partners in creative projects. And I think that that's the kind of thing we'd like to do. You know, I think that, um, we like it, it. The industry is changing so much right now. Who knows what TV rooms are going to be like in the future? It's so mm-hmm. hard to get in one now. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the things that the writers are striking about right now is that uh, they want to do. They want like like they they're saying like there might not be writers' rooms anymore for shows. Yeah. Um, so it, who knows what the future is going to look like? But I know that I want to tell stories and I want to make people's lives better. Like it's when I did the Thirty Rock book, I wanted to talk about like my favorite stories in that book. Or talking with like that black prop master. We're talking with. Um, um, uh, a woman who wrote in the first season of 30 Rock and had to quit because uh, her husband wanted to have kids. And oh. uh, and she's like, like you know, the male writers could have kids and not have to think about this. But like because she's a woman, like there was that pressure on her to do that. And she knew this is the best show she was ever going to write for. And she had to leave. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that I want to, like, elevate stories like that, whether I do that fictionally as uh, through screenplays or whether I do that as a journalist. I think that's another thing I love doing, too. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to do the big creative stories. I want them to have impact on people. You know, we talked about being coming a pastor. The, one of the reasons I didn't become a pastor wasn't just not getting out of school. It was also realizing I didn't want to preach to people who believe the same things I believe. I want to uh, go ahead and inspire people outside of like not preaching to the choir. I want to create like cool, inspiring, original things and lift up people who aren't like me. And uh, and like you know, becoming a traditional pastor is probably not. The way to do that if you were to write a bible movie uh-huh about a bible story or character who would yeah. it be uh i think that i would want to write about um i think i probably would go outside of the uh, canon no and i, I have the extended a, universe I, yeah exactly extended universe <laughs> of the bible go for maybe gospel of thomas uh, I don't know this. It's uh, so it is not part of the Bible, but it is. Is this a I, Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. It was, I had a professor in college who loved loved the Gospel of Thomas, and it's basically like allegedly written by um, Jesus's brother. Uh, Which but, one? He had three, right? Exactly. It's like by Thomas. Uh, oh, okay. So, so it's Gospel of Thomas, but like it has some like interesting stuff about gender. It has what? like it's like has a bunch of like 
stuff that doesn't totally fit, but like mostly fits with the rest of the, the gospels. Like that's why it's not in the Bible is because like when they're deciding like what goes in the canon, what doesn't go in the canon, like yeah. there's the councils that decide these things. Yeah. Uh, Thomas didn't make it in, but it's a fascinating read. It's pretty short too. It's, 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 it's and I feel like that there could be some fun stories to do with that. Um, you know, I think, you know, that, hold on. Yeah. I think you're onto something, bro. So yeah, I mean, I, I think, because this is why. Yeah. I've read the regular Bible like five times. Uh huh. And I'll have to do it again because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah, hard. Yeah. And I don't even mess with the non-canonical stuff because I don't, I don't know if it's true. Yep. I don't know. I, again, I, I, and the regular Bible's hard enough. Yes, exactly. But a Netflix series? Yeah. That talked about, that, that told us those stories and dramatized them, uh, Maybe there's some jokes. Is there some funny in the... Uh... I think so. I think there is. Like, and there's like, uh, there, I, I think there's a bit, it's been a while since I've looked at that, but like where Jesus basically says like how, like it basically says like this woman can become like the rest of us or something like that. But it's basically like a lot of people say like, oh, it's him putting down women. But the other way to look at it is it's saying like in the kingdom of heaven, there is no gender. And so it's like such a, like, I feel like right now that's such a powerful message oh for this God, moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I, I will say like my faith does influence the things I write. I think mm. that the biggest thing we did was I have a lot of anxiety about death. And so I wrote a, uh, my wife and I wrote a sci-fi story where it was about like uh, main character dies and she wakes up again and the afterlife is like an outer space space battle. And uh, it was like a fun sort of way of me dealing with my like anxieties about death and about uh, like the idea that like the sun's going to eat our planet eventually and yeah. all of that. And I feel like that's the kind of story like, you know, I think that the Gospel of Thomas could be a cool story. Like you've inspired me by asking me that. Good, I'm glad. But I also think that like using those influences to like, you know, what are the things that we're all scared of and like having mm -hmm. creating stories that we can all relate to whatever you believe, mm -hmm. uh, I think is the thing that I'm excited about. But like they say like the universe, the specific is universal and vice versa. Like, uh, like I have a lot of anxiety specifically about space stuff, but like, I, I feel like the, the way to create a story that we all have some sort of fears about, uh, big existential things. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think those are the kind of stories I want to tell, but. Well, God bless you, sir. God bless we you. All, we are all here to support you. Uh, where can people follow you on social and all that? Yes, follow me on Twitter. I'm still there. Oh, X. It's X now. Uh, follow <laughs> me at micro, M-I-K-E-R-O-E. -E, no W. I just, uh, uh, people still mess it up. I also have had people tag me because they think I'm the Dirty Jobs TV host yeah. micro dude. Uh, I had the Tea Party tag me with a quote from that micro. I'm like, no, it's not not me, bro. Aye, aye. Uh, but uh, but yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on Instagram. You know, who knows what social media is going to be? But uh, but yes, I'm out there. I do. Uh, you can find me at themicro.com nice. because I cannot get micro.com. <laughs> uh, and also my wife and I uh, – uh, I, I probably that's the easiest way or Mike and Christiana.com because we have our writing team stuff up there. Uh -huh. Um, and also links to our socials. So yeah, the Mike row or just at Mike row on Twitter and all the social things. I, except for, yeah, I think like there's some, I had to do Mike D row cause someone beat me there, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out TikTok. I'm trying to figure out all the things. Yeah. So thank you for having, or thank you for being here. <laughs> And best of luck on, on these scripts. I'm sure they're going to be great. Thank you for having me, Tony. My pleasure. How great was Mike? 
You know who we'd watch pro wrestling with at one of those summer slams? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, every fall you should buy a new garbage can for your kitchen. Do you know how gross they can get after a year? Here's some money. Go to Home Depot. Knock yourself out. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, Gregor, and our newest Patreon, Phil Stark. To be a Patreon, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Want to support us, but you just blew all your dough buying U2 tickets for that sphere in Vegas? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Tweet something nice about us. And anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it for God's sake. And tell your friends. Tell them how here in LA is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and Amazon. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who spent some time in the Crawford Family Forum, I bet, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and lovely souls everywhere like Mr. Mike Rowe. Thank you for being so cool. Cool.